Welcome to Zero to CEO, where seasoned entrepreneurs will teach you how to succeed. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. In this episode of Zero to CEO, I speak to entrepreneur and M&A expert, Gabriel Galvez. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. And uh, this is going to be a cool episode because we're going to talk about how to remove yourself from the operations of your business. Because as we know, a lot of people, like you, you mentioned earlier before we started, people build businesses around themselves and they become essential to the business and they can't scale that. Why do you think people insist on building the business around themselves instead of delegating to others so that they can scale? Like, What's the main motive behind that? The age-old question. Um, you know, I, there, there's probably a few um, thematic buckets we could put entrepreneurs in in reference to the question. One, let's just own it. Probably an ego thing, right? We're starting a company. We're putting ourselves out there. We're betting on ourselves or our core team. And um, there is something very deeply attractive to being the most valuable and smartest person on your team initially, or at least you, you tell yourself that. Um, and of course we know, and the audience knows that's a total fallacy, right? We <laughs> want to be the person who's most willing to learn on our team. Right. We want to be the person surrounded by brilliant people. I, I want to now be the, you know, the dumbest guy in the room, certainly not the smartest guy because it's a limiting thing. So ego is probably a, a big one. Another is probably just a, a you know embracing the practicality of that reality in the moment. I don't have a lot of folks. I have the most incentive to perform. Um, these uh, you know the stakes are higher for me, so I'm going to care more than everybody else. And if I care more than everybody else, well, gosh, I should probably be in the most important position, right? Because of how these incentives are aligning with with my needs and and my abilities, and then the list goes on and on. I think those are probably the two big considerations. Um, and the the great thing about both of those is we can look and work beyond those. Pretty quickly, just of course, by recognizing that, that these are these limiting uh, uh, factors that we've adopted as core to our philosophy on day one. Yeah. And ego aside, you mentioned, uh, you know, you have more at stake because it's your business and you care more. So how do you incentivize others to care as much as you do, or at least half as much as you do to make the company succeed so you can scale so you're not alone in it? So I think there are, are two paths that I go when when considering this. And, you know, as, as we've spoke about, as you know, I, I now have a whole portfolio of businesses that we run through a professionalized private equity. 17, lens. you said. You said 17 of them. That's quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. So we got a bunch of companies. And, uh, um, you know, you're always going to be asking this question, how do we, um, you know, incite excellence and incentivize people? One path to go down is a real nuts and bolts tactics path. Do we give up equity? What are the tax implications? Do we um, build in an upside component into key roles or into all roles? Um, and there's no right or wrong answer there. Although with almost every job at every company I own or invest in, there is a variable compensation component to literally almost every job title. 
I don't care. So, if so is this like is this like stock options? Do you mean like stock options, or are you saying like bonuses? Like you pay bonuses to people for exemplary work? Are there quotas or yeah. deadlines, or you know, kind of like these are the kind of things we want to reach, and then we give you X if you hit Y, or is it all the above? Uh, 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 it could be all the above. It's role dependent. You know, we okay. are in the process of. Um, um, acquiring a lot of commercial landscaping businesses, right? Right now, very low tech, um, B2B, nice recurring revenue. Um, so a guy pushing a lawnmower to me, very important, right? That's the customer fulfillment interaction point. Um, does it make sense to give that guy who's doing kind of, a, um, a, you know, a, a fairly basic repetitive task stock options? I don't know, but certainly we want to give that guy a path to increasing his earnings relative mm-hmm. to his output, right? So right. that might be based on the customer satisfaction score, a, a, a route profitability metric that can be easily disseminated amongst the team. Um, and a lot of folks at, at roles that are maybe um, filled by a large population of employees or that are less technical, um, that upside doesn't need to be what we as CEOs or entrepreneurs think of upside, right? We're greedy, we're money motivated, we're ego motivated. So we're thinking upside, right? right I want right, to right. my income, whatever. Um, and, and maybe that's appropriate for these roles. But there are some some roles where if you have a, a insert generic, you know, a, a laborer making right. $20 an hour doing something on a team, you might want to give them a path to averaging out at $25 an hour in a way that is um, that they have some control over that's self-funded. So, so when they succeed, the upside is paid for by way of the benefit of their success. Right. Um, and as you move up the ladder, certainly it can become more robust um, options, you know, commissions, uh, profit sharing. I was about to say, it sounds um, a bit like profit sharing, right? Cause like if you're saying he's totally. making 20 and then he makes 25 because of what he or she did, they're earning more money now because of what they did versus just getting paid for the same job. So profit sharing, that sounds like a great idea. It's like you do well, you earn profit for the company. Let's share that revenue. So totally. we talked, we talked about profit sharing and helping incentivize your employees, but you still have this control factor, right? It's not even about ego anymore. It's more about control. Like you may not be the smartest guy in the room, but you did build the business up profitably and you know the ins and outs. So is it more about like holding the secrets within or is it not finding the right people to help you move forward? Like what are the challenges of, of, of removing that entrepreneur from the, the hot seat and giving more delegation to the, you know, the top workers? Well, I think that leads to kind of the, the other side of this two pronged path, um, which is really finding team members that align with, the vision and the goals of the company. It, it sounds like corporate whatever speak, um, but it's not, right? You can sit down with a potential candidate or somebody you want to join your team. And if you ask the right questions and you have some developed perspective on how you are, are developing talent, you can find people who just care about doing good work, right? Um, certainly there's going to be some influence on who they're doing the good work for and the framework in which they're doing that good work. All that matters. But there are totally people, and this is not a dig at anybody, who just want to get paid and, and do their job, right? That's fine. Especially large organizations, you need a lot of those people because you just kind of need the thing to keep working. 
And hopefully that proposition makes sense to everybody. But particularly with smaller teams um, or newer teams, as, as we talk about, um, you may want to just give preference to somebody who, who for some reason internally is weighing and valuing their own ability to contribute to a team highly as a personal metric, right? right? I'm one of those people. I think you're one of those people as well. Um, and we need to believe that we don't exist in a vacuum. Um, recently, as a funny aside, we were conducting some interviews for a, a biz dev uh, candidate at, at one of our companies. And I asked him something along those lines. Are you interested in, in just your own success, right? Do you need a job? If you do, just tell me it's okay. It's not going to disqualify you, but talk to me. Are you, what, you know, what's the thing driving you? And, um, he was taking an interview from um, over the holidays from his childhood bedroom at his, his family's home. Young <laughs> professional. That's so it made sense. And he, <laughs> he, I asked the question and he said, well, I don't want to, you know, toot my own horn, but maybe I can uh, answer your question this way. And he tilted his laptop or his camera around and there were two walls covered in trophies and medals. Oh, wow. And it turns out he was a D1 runner. Okay. Uh, in college and, and a, a all state runner in high school. And um, clearly there was this demonstrative ability to connect excellence and motivation to, to his own skill set. So we can certainly give people the uh, an incentive structure where they can flourish. But if they're not interested in in some of that at a core level, they're probably mm -hmm. going to be less successful in your profit sharing model or right. whatever. So some of it is tactics, but some of it is, are we valuing hiring people who are just really interested in doing good work? And can we build a team at scale with those types of people? Not every industry, that's going to be super easy, but I think it's always a possibility and certainly should be at least incorporated into the discussion. You know, I think a lot of it has to do, because like everything you're saying kind of makes me think about what is the vision of the business are they aligned with it? You know, and also what is the business? Is it something that's interesting to people or are you just selling widgets? You know, like what sure. exactly, what exactly is it? And I guess like you mentioned, either people looking for a paycheck or they're super interested in what you're doing. And that's kind of the challenge, I think. Right. So how, like, let's say your business is not super interesting, but you said, you know, people need to do what needs to make the world work. How do you make your business more interesting to people? Uh, even if it's not super interesting, are there ways of doing that or is it what it is, is what you get? I think there's ways of doing it. I think a lot of it has to do with how leadership views the company or the, the product or services role in the marketplace. Um, I, I always remind folks on our teams, not all of which I'm, I'm super actively involved with, but I like to chime in and remind somebody that, you know, at that, one of our companies, Cap Target, which which we spoke about, um, and we just touch a lot of data, right? It's pretty boring. It's for the banking and the private equity industry. It's not super sexy, and there are a lot of people who are building big data sets all day in Excel or SQL or whatever. And I love to remind those people this whole thing: our client's success, our team's success, my success, your success. It starts right here with the the accuracy and the validity of the data inclusion that you're doing. And 
all the cool stuff we talk about doesn't happen, doesn't even have a possibility of happening unless you do a good job here. Yeah. And that's not to inappropriately load them with responsibility, quite right. the opposite. It's to validate everything we do here in the process is important and everything can be exciting because if it's important, then we probably should care about it. And if we should care about it, we should probably get excited about it because there yeah. are opportunities to learn and improve and maybe have a little fun. Um, you know, most of the stuff we all do is, is not particularly sexy or but the, exciting. But the overall, the overall scope is, you know, it's kind of like the, you know, the airplane flying off into the sunset, but the guy on the ground on the tarmac putting the gas in without him, you, you don't have anybody, you know, so you, you won't totally. take off. So it makes a lot of sense. And you have to look at it from the grand scheme of things. Speaking of which, it's I mean, the, you have, you have seven, I was just going to finish that thought. It's the, uh, it's the, the uh, NASA janitor. Uh, you right. Know, old, Some, someone's got to clean the floors because if the astronaut slips and falls, well, <laughs> you might and break that it. janitor should be able to say, I help put people in space. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Cause he did or she did, you know, so, um, but speaking of the, the, the plethora of businesses you've started over the years and you and you're running so many of them, you started out as an entrepreneur, just like everybody else. And what were the main three things that drove you to continue to grow and learn and scale and build more businesses? Like what was taking you through it? Like, what would you tell somebody if they were watching or listening that they should do? Well, you know, I, I think all of our activity, our professional and personal activity should be driven by, you know, good planning and good goal setting, right? It's not, a, again, not a sexy answer, but when oh, I started is. my first company, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's an effective answer. Yeah. Um, when I started my first company, we, I wasn't asking the question, how can I get this company to this size or how can I make this much money from this company? My goals were actually much more grandiose than that. And it, mm. Although they were big, they were clear, they were quantifiable, and they allowed me to work backwards, right? And all kinds of ways to set fun goals, whatever. But I think starting there allows you to then ask the question, well, what do we need to do to get there? Um, working the other way from start to finish, you can get lost along the way. I have a product. The customers want more features. We're out of capital. These are practical mm -hmm. problems that we yeah. have, but if they're not framed by some real, you know, rails that help us stay on track, you just get lost. So goal setting through a focused lens can allow you to do things that maybe even seem out of focus in the short term because your, your broad goal gives you the flexibility and the, the mobility to, to work in all the cracks until you get there. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really think there's a tremendous amount of, of value in just, um, just doing things because we can, yeah. I, I publicly talk a lot about that. Um, I and I think a lot of early entrepreneurs, they start with, could we build this thing? Yeah. And it turns into a fun exercise but it rarely gets reconciled on time with should we, what do I need to do? What else could I be doing? It's, it's a distraction. What else could my team be doing? Yeah. Exactly. I get it. Absolutely. So uh, what shameless plug should we leave everybody with today? Cause you have 17 of um, them. You know, I, my first startup cap target, which I'm still the 
STEMI active CEO of um, great company. We started 15 years ago, um, helps professional investors find great deals to buy. Um, those are usually private equity funds, but they can be entrepreneurs looking to scale through acquisition. Um, something that we're expert and really passionate about. Um, you can find us at captarget.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just search my name, Gabe Galvez or Gabriel Galvez. Uh, I should show up either way. Um, and, and we love to have this conversation continually. Perfect, man. Thank you so much. This was a really, really interesting conversation. Hopefully people learned a bunch. And as always, we will see everybody in the next episode. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you learned something today, please support this podcast by subscribing to it, sharing it with your friends, and leaving a five-star review. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org, where you'll find information about my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, available on Amazon, as well as my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy or Skillshare. I'll see you in next week's episode.